You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. Oh my God, what is that, a uh, mason jar? Yeah, that's the second one. After oh. my heavy day, I drink two of them. Yeah, we my can't... glasses are even fogging up. I'm still my heart rate's so high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that must have been a serious workout. It looked like what, sixty five pounds? Yeah. So I do. Uh, that's the third of the week. I, I do a uh, kettlebell supersets um, Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, where I do clean and press uh, superset it with pull up. So I'll do ladders to five, and I, I start out on Monday with. Um, two below my highest set of, of Sunday sets. So Monday workout looks like three, 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 two, two. And then my moderate workout on um, Thursday is one below my highest set. So I'll go four, 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 three, three. And then I push as hard as I can on Sunday to try to get five ladders of five. So I'll do, and a ladder is, you know, one right hand, one left hand, one pull up, two right hand, two left hand, two pull ups. Three, three, three pull-ups, four, four, all the way up to five. It takes about three minutes to do one ladder of five. And then I try to get five. I couldn't get five today. Man. I was I was a big pile of pus <laughs> on the floor. I got five, five, four, and two ladders to three. And, and then I do kettlebell swings. I roll the dice. And whatever the dice tells me, I do kettlebell swings um, until basically failure. On my light workout day, it's about 50 to 60%. Moderate workout day, 70%. And it's full out today. Thankfully, the dice gods only gave me three minutes on the dice today. <laughs> so I was able to at least make it. Damn, you're making Good. me tired already just listening. Yeah. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Well, I'm almost 50, so I have to <laughs> I have to be able to compete with these young kids. I got 14-year-olds that I'm taking on the field tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon. So Yeah, that's yeah, right. So, I, so John I do push-ups uh, with them and handstand push-ups with the kids and everything. And you know, I, I can I can still destroy kids in push-ups. So there's still something about the old the old Green Beret that can, you know, I can I can do push-ups and you know kids think we're gonna do 25 push-ups and then I'll say okay we're only gonna do 10 push-ups today or we'll do three sets of 10 but we'll do them my way, right? So you know the old drill sergeant you know down <laughs> and then hold it. up rotate to your left no left over your left hand over to your right hand and um and 10 push-ups gets fairly challenging that 14 15 16 year I did with the seniors. Uh, during during the spring camp, and um, I think I saw some tears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, we uh, when I was growing up in uh, junior high, we had a basketball coach who was an ex Navy SEAL, and he used to count. He would say, "All right, we're only going to do twenty, but he would uh, mix up the numbers, so he would go like one, two, <laughs> twenty nine, fifty four, and just you know confuse you never know everybody." Where you're yeah, so we never knew where we were. And, That's uh, great. I'm you know, going to do that tomorrow, John. Yeah, so one day one day we all kind of sat there and we're like, all right, everyone pay attention. We need to figure out how many we're actually doing. And come to find out, yeah, you had us doing like 40, 45, 50 push-ups. <laughs> That's you know, great. We just never knew it. And, uh, or so you just – somebody doesn't do it, so you go back to zero. Yeah. God, yeah. Now, Sean Sinclair, he would always drop out. We'd have to <laughs> – that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I still know the kid's name. <laughs> There's always that one guy. Yeah, right you just don't want to be him <laughs> so you came in where were you originally from john because you came in the air force but where where were you originally where did, where did it all start yeah so uh i guess you could say i'm a i'm a part-time military brat um my dad was an active duty air force pilot and was stationed at castle air force base in merced california in central in the central valley um 
And uh, right at the time I was born, uh, he left active duty um, and joined the reserves up at Travis Air Force Base up near um, Sacramento, San Francisco area in Northern California. And he flew the uh, KC or the C-141 and then the KC-10s uh, up there. So, um, you know, I guess you could say, and, and then I went to college down here in Los Angeles. So I've kind of done the full gambit of, of California uh, originally, but, um, you know, with the stipulation or, you know, the, uh, idea of always being, you know, the left coast and things like that, I, I was always around military bases. So, um, you know, and I grew up in a small town of 20,000 people in the orchards and, uh, migrant workers, that kind of stuff. And then up in Northern California and, and now down here in Los Angeles. So, um, yeah, kind of, kind of a wide range, but always kind of military based and, uh, and just kind of always, grew up in a squadron and uh, always wanted to be in the military. So that's uh, that's kind of my background as to how a California kid joins the military. Yeah. So, I mean, you already knew that you were kind of destined or that's what you wanted to do is join the Air Force then because you kind of wanted yeah. to follow in your father's footsteps. Is that the... Uh... Yeah, not just him. Um, it's actually, uh, I had uh, relatives that fought in the Civil War, uh, World War I, um, both my grandfathers. Uh, one was in Korea. He was in the Navy. The other one was a... a, a Chief Master Sergeant, uh, military police in Vietnam, and uh, my uncle was a, a Special Forces helicopter pilot down there at Hurlburt, and uh, my cousin flies uh, Blackhawks down there for the uh, Florida National Guard, uh, the privateers, and, uh, and his new unit. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I've, I've just always been around the military, and uh, it was one of those things where I, I wouldn't be able to look myself in the face at 80 years old and not not know that I... I did my part, you know, sort of a thing. So, but I was very fortunate. I had no pressure, none. Uh, no one in my family, you know, told me like, you better go do it. It, it wasn't anything like that. It, it was, it was a very organic, um, you know, destiny, I guess you could say. Yeah. My father served the Navy, so I'm a Navy brat, but I didn't go in the Navy. I went to the army, but what I started, um, doing later on was tracing the, uh, the family tree before he passed away. And I started looking at all of my historical side on the paternal side and realize that that the direct paternal line goes all the way back to the uh, American Revolution stuff and and so all the way leading to my father there was this long history of military service and, and so it begins to make you wonder at some point is there a direct correlation with that somehow now of course there's always those individuals which Mike I don't think you had any type of military family history right I think we talked about my this before my grandfather was in the Navy yeah. uh, I've got an uncle that served in Vietnam in the US Marines um, and several of the of, of cousins uh, at my, you know, kind of age level have served, but my, my dad didn't. Uh, most of his brothers didn't know. Yeah. So, I mean, you find that kind of uh, situation, but then it sounds like you also find a lot of, you know, our situation, John, where you end up having relatives that we're in. And when you, if you realize that ahead of time, you know, that's, that's interesting. But for me, it was finding out much later that there was that long history of service to this country and yeah. uh, it was pretty fascinating when I when I discovered it. Yeah, it it is kind of a interesting thing when you think about how it might actually just be genetic. You know, there there yeah. might be a genetic composition to servitude, not just to your community or your country, you know, but to the world even. And uh, you know, um, it, it is interesting when you get in and you realize that it's not necessarily like a filter, but uh, when you suddenly find yourself surrounded by all these different groups of people from all different backgrounds that all have that one common thing uh, of servitude. It, uh, it, it is one of those, uh, it's an invigorating feeling, at least I felt like. It's 
It's one of those things that we talk about too when you come out of service that you got to make sure that you continue the service part of it because we we go into the military thinking about service but then when we get out sometimes we just don't think about it so often and that's one of the elements that typically is missing from a person who served in the military where they can get that tie back you know they can get connection again with their brothers and sisters in some ways and, and whether it's with a fellow military person or for a, a veteran supported organization or not just the, the sense of service i think gives them that grounding Robert, i don't even think it, it needs to be tied to the military yeah I, mean, I think it just needs to be tied to a lot of people i talk to uh, guys with my background who are, are retiring or, or just ctsing they, they want to serve even just the community. So uh, people are looking for that uh, as they're, because you have it in the military. I mean, there's a sense of even though you move every three or four years, um, particularly within, you know, my branch, we, we pretty much know each other. We go to schools together, even the guys from the other groups. So there's a sense of community every time you PCS somewhere else and you build that really, really fast. Um, but when, a, when somebody um, leaves the military, transitions into the civilian sector that's missing so a lot of a lot of people that i'm talking to are are looking for that you know they're looking for a local church that they can get involved in they're looking for community organizations the, the volunteer um i met a, a guy at a um at shine mountain state park the other day who is a volunteer ranger out there uh that just wants to engage with the public and talk about you know that particular aspect of of what he's doing in his life and he, he did 25 years in the military and that's that's all he does now is he, he works with the local people. So I think that as long as you find again, it goes back to what you're always talking about. You find passion and purpose and and that that provides you with a little bit of direction in what you're doing next in your life, whether that's for pay or for some type of uh, philanthropic or, or volunteer work. And I think yeah, self-satisfaction. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize that throughout their life, they're always at a sense of crossroads. They're always trying to think about. You know, what, where do they want to go? What do they want to do? Heck, it could even be something as simple as trying to figure out the day, uh, you know, what their plans are going to be and how they should have a productive day. But when you start thinking about your your career, either going into the military service or when you get out, and we were talking about that transition and that sense of grounding, I think this is where you find that some people may not want to admit it, but they have a fear of failing. So they don't want to go, or they failed previously in something that they've accomplished, and so it makes them very hesitant to go forward and do something along the same lines. Yeah, that's yeah. something. That's something that I think a fear of failure, man, is it's inherent to most of us in the military, particularly guys in soft. Um, and I used to be hard on people. Quitting sucks. All right, I mean, I'm like, let, let's separate quitting and failure. I guess initially, um, but. I've been hard on people who would quit, I guess, more than people who would fail. But, but as I've transitioned, and maybe it's a little bit that I've gotten older, embracing failure has become kind of a, a motto of mine because I, I've, I've done so many things. It seems that I wasn't very good at. And let's let's be honest, I'm not the the guy that's always been in the best shape. I'm not very smart. Um, I'm pretty ugly. So what I have to do to overcome all that stuff is I have to I have to outwork everybody. And I've kind of always done that. I've, I've always tried to out-PT everybody. I've always read a little bit more and tried to stay up on things, uh, a little bit more current events or cultural things, even when I was in. And, and heck, I just got a, a master's degree a, a couple of weeks ago. So, that, I mean, that's, oh, wow. that's something Congrats. that that's something that it's, to me, no, nobody in my family's ever went to college. So something to, to me, I, I had to try things that I wasn't very good at. Uh, and, and I failed a lot along the way. And I had somebody a couple of years ago, or, uh, one of my professors actually tell me this, this little thing. He said, you got to start embracing the failure. 
uh, and failure is not a not a stopping point. Um, it's it's just a point of of learning. It's a teacher. So I think that, and if you read stuff in the you know business world, talk to Larry Broton or something. I mean, how many times have, have these guys tried something and failed, and then all they do is they shift, they adjust, and and they make some changes and they keep moving forward. Um, I, I think too often, particularly guys with soft backgrounds, look at at failure as as kind of final, and it's not. No, it's and uh, you know to go on that. It, there's also the com the component of um, maturity, you know, and just not knowing exactly what it is that that you want to do. I mean, um, Rob, when you'd said like the crossroads, um, like I personally found myself at a crossroads after college. It was uh, 2007, 2008. The economy was in a freefall dive. Um, uh, Obama was just finishing getting, or, you know, his campaign was going and he was going to end the war. So, you know, was it a good time to, to join the military? You know, they're downsizing, they're talking about finishing it. And, um, you know, and so, yeah, you, you can find yourself at a crossroads. And, and then the question really becomes like, well, you know, what do I really want to do? Um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, I don't know that, that just seemed to be like a very, uh, not confusing, but just, um, uh, solitary time in my life, you know, just having that indecisiveness because it was like, well, do I go left at the crossroads and go into business? Do I go straight into the military? Do I go right into, you know, creative pursuits? And, um, you know, that's the kind of, that's kind of the moment where, where I found myself where it was like, okay, well, you know, what, what do I really want? It wasn't so much, what am I going to fail at? It was, you know, what am I truly passionate about to, to pursue, uh, with, you know, a hundred percent effort. And, and that was another moment, uh, that, that you guys are listening to you guys makes me think about. We talk about passion, Mike, Mike, you brought it up because I always bring it up, but I mean, it's hard and difficult, um, uh, to figure out what your passion is when you're very young. I mean, let's face it, 21, 23, you know, that age group, or even younger than that, at times you're not really sure. You have an idea of what you want to do, and it, at times we go ahead and pick something, and then we realize, you know, some point within that, that that's not what we want to do long term. So then we switch gears and go someplace else. Well, all of that is a journey. All of that is leading to where you're going to, to end up sometime in the future. And, and if you make enough decisions and you're paying attention retrospectively to those decisions that you made, then you're going to start paying attention to um, the passion because it's it's there. It's in it's woven in your decisions, whether you realize it or not. There are things that are um, correlating with those choices that you've made in the past. There's a common thread or commonality that are along with that. And sometimes that's where a mentor comes into play and says, hey, listen, it looks like that you have a passion towards, you know, X. And once that's identified, then the lights come on. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it now. I see that I've always made choices along this path, and uh, but I've never thought about it in that way. Yeah, yeah. I, f I found myself at a at a crossroads. Um, like I had graduated college, uh, I had been out for about a year and a half. Um, I had started a, a company. It was a uh, you know I helped start a, a paintball manufacturing company because that's what I was doing at the time. I was playing paintball so much. Uh, and you know, we ended up starting a company and and making the paintballs. And 
you know, but there's just, there's just something that was there that, you know, was kind of eating at the, at the back of my heart. And, uh, in what you just said, like I, uh, I had a mentor, uh, Stu Rosen, he was a, a television show producer, uh, Emmy award winning a children's show back in the seventies and, uh, just happened to be my neighbor. And, uh, and he, and he just, you know, sat me down one day and he, and he was like, you know, what, what is the thing that you're always thinking about? Like when, when you go to work and you say, like, oh, this is really cool, you know, but what's the thing that you're always thinking about in the back of your head? And, and, and I said, well, you know, it's, it's serving and, and it's flying. And, uh, and he was like, you know, when, when you find yourself, uh, you know, at a crossroads kind of questioning what it is that you're going to do or, or in a job or going to school or, or doing whatever. And you're always saying like, you know, I could, I could be doing something else. And, and if you're, constantly having that something else be the same thing, then that's probably, you know, where you're, you know, not to be nostalgic, but that's probably where your heart and, uh, and, and your subconscious is trying to, you know, your destiny is trying to take you to. And, uh, you should really give it a consideration. Like it, you know, just because you're thinking about something doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, I mean, like, you know, if you're five foot three and not athletic, you know, and and your dream is to play in the NBA all-star game, you know, it's probably not going to happen, you know? (laughs) Yeah, true. But, um, but, um, you know, if, uh, you know, in my case, I, you know, every time a plane would fly over, uh, I would, I would look up at it and, you know, wonder where, where it was, what it was doing, you know, think about my dad, think about the, the guys that I grew up, you know, with. And, uh, and that was just, you know, that was the one thing. And, uh, and I, I exactly that, like, you know, you need to have that, that mentor, that, that catalyst that, uh, you know, that Obi-Wan that kind of pushes you uh, sometimes. And, uh, and then from there it's up to you. Um, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, Mike, Mike can understand that working with the young kids, um, you know, the difference between having like a fantasy and, and a, and a destiny, you know, is, is two different things. So the first thing that I did this week, our students arrived on, uh, Thursday. And the first thing I did is, is I asked them to jot down a little bit about them, about themselves. And, and one of the things was, Hey, if money wasn't an option, if you had all the resources available to you that you could possibly have, what would you do with your life? And then I said, I want to be a big wave surfer because I've already done all the cool stuff in the world. So I, I want to, all I want to do is learn to surf. I want to go to Hawaii and I want to surf big waves and to kind of set, set the tone. So I, I, I gave them the option to go someplace completely outside of what I would probably be thinking. And you know what I got most often? Doctors and lawyers. These are hmm. these are freshmen in high school, fourteen year old kids. And then the second thing I asked them to jot down was, you know, what do you have to do? What do you have to get there? And there were a couple of guys, there were a couple of kids that want I, I want to own a you know an NFL franchise or something. Great. I would awesome. I'll come watch you play. I'll come, you know, come watch your team play. Right. But but the majority of the kids at fourteen years old really had an idea of, of where they wanted to go, what they wanted to do. Um, and 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 honestly, that gave me a, a an inroad to kind of talk about, hey, how do you think you can get there? Um, which was, I think, kind of insightful into what what kids even at 14 years old are thinking about in their lives. I would have never thought that so many would have been thinking about, you know, well, especially since they're all thinking about the exact same thing. I mean, yeah, always thinking about doctors and lawyers. What was the thought process behind that? So I, I got the idea last year. Um, so they started this new program at my high school called called Avid um, to try to help these kids that are. You know, the advanced kids have all these programs like dual credit enrollment, and they have programs that, that AP programs that help them get college credit, get prepared for the next level. And then you've got a group of kids that are kind of in the middle between your high achievers and your kids that are struggling. 
Uh, and this this program called AVID, uh, AVID stands for Advancement via Individual Determination, and, and it provides them with kind of a, a framework in how to structure their lives and, and get ready to go to college. Well, I, I participated in the leadership committee of that last year, and I was able to interview all of the students that were, were currently in high school that we were, we were trying to, to invite into the program. And the number of kids at that level, now they were going into their sophomore year, so about the same, you know, cognitive de- uh, development level, the, the, the vast majority of these kids wanted to be doctors, lawyers, and business owners. And when you ask them specifically, they have, you know, specialties that they, for some reason of like cardiothoracic surgery, pediatrician, wow. dentist, vet- veterinarians. Um, and it, it comes from something that they've been exposed to when they were very young and most of their parents, because this, this is a group of kids that is, is not really from affluent families, right? It's a group of kids that they're not struggling. They're not bad kids. Um, they're kids that just need a little bit of structure, organization and, and, and mentorship, right? At that level. And, um, so they said that, so I, I wanted to structure the same type of question to all my freshmen this year. And, um, it, it just, it surprised me, um, that, that it's, it's, there's a theme there. So from, from my perspective, and I think it's my challenge and one of my goals is to, to try to cultivate that theme and not let them get bogged down in the work because the work can be a struggle. And, and then as you yeah. get bogged down in the work, uh, you, you, you sometimes lose focus on, on the, the overall goal. And I, I use my own, my yeah, own well, examples of going through the Q course as the same thing. You know, the special forces qualification course from selection to graduation with no recycles is about 18 months uh, with a break between obviously selection and beginning of the course. If you're if you're a special forces medic, it could be two years. So, you, you know, like a higher education, you, you've got this long struggle with gates along the way and people fail and they recycle and they have to do things over. And, and some people that I've worked with have been removed from the course for failing a couple of times. They go back to the army for a year and they come back. So it may take someone if they really have this as their goal. It may take them four years to, yeah. to finally achieve that goal with, with a lot of roadblocks along the way. So I, I think that that's kind of the thing that let's let's identify goals early and then see what it takes to, to reach those goals, realizing you've got for a doctor from 14 years old, 10, 15 years to get there. I think right? yeah. there's going to be a lot of things to do. I guess my, my only concern would be that I'm sorry, John, but I think my my only concern in this is when you start looking at people who are making those types of career choices and very challenging ones. You get to what is the what is the root of why it is that you think that you want to go within those occupations, and at times, especially at a very early age, and I'm talking about sometimes even up before 30 years old, everything's focused on either uh, improving your debt situation or gaining income, and so you end up making choices driven along that line and what you may end up realizing especially in the occupations that were described whether it's physicians or in um, in becoming a lawyer is that you've got a long road and not everybody becomes successful in that as well so there are many doctors that have tons of debt you know because they're trying to become uh, successful there are many lawyers that are not successful along the way if that's still your passion that's great but i think that's where the mentor comes in too that stops and says what is the reason why you think you want to go into that occupation or you want to go down that career path because i think you have to be honest within yourself whatever it may be that you're choosing as your passion to be sure that you understand all that's going to take and that that may not really be the focus. You know, if it's money, you're not thinking broad enough. You're not thinking the big picture. 
And I don't mean this especially for your kids. I'm just saying. No, in no, general. I know. Yeah, I yeah. know. I, I think it's important. Then I mean, what I'm hearing you say is you got to identify the why. You're right. If Absolutely. The why is, if the why is to make money, there's a lot of ways to make money. Right. If the why is to 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 have a role in community and society to help people, well, there's an underlying kind of meaning in what you're doing that will help you. I think along those long, long career paths that'll help you along over roadblocks and things, particularly the 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 professions that I was talking about are expensive to get into Absolutely. simply because the amount of schooling it requires. So if you don't have a lot of, a lot of financial support, scholarship uh, availability, you're going to, you're going to incur quite a bit of student debt. It'll take you 10, 15 years to pay off before you really start operating to make money. So I think it has to be, uh, you're right, Robert, it has to be more than just about making money. Yeah. Uh, and sorry to, to, to go back to what you said there, Mike, um, like, the, the day that I called a recruiter and said, you know, I, hey, my name's John. I'd like to be an Air Force pilot. Uh, I mean, the conversation only lasted 15 seconds, you know, before the guy hung up on me. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I can go into it's not a good start. later. Yeah. But, uh, no, no. Um, you know, but to, to talk about gates and things like that, um, from the, I called the recruiter uh, July uh, 24th, 2009. And, and I know that date specifically for, for a, a reason, but I didn't show up to uh, officer training school for the Air Force until July 27th, 2012. So, uh, you know, it took me personally, you know, three years mm-hmm. of, okay, why am I doing, you know, why, why do I want to do this again? Like, you know, I've started a company, I'm, I'm it, it's doing well, we're making money and, um, it, it, but you know, three years just to get it, my, my foot across the threshold of, of the front door, you know, and to, and to be yelled at by a drill instructor, you know, that, that was a funny moment. Cause it was like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the reason, the reason why it has to be endemic to your purpose and, um, it, it, you know, um, whether it's service to your country or, or community or, or whatever it may be, um, you know, if you find yourself where you're saying like, well, I'd really like to, to go and do this or I'd really like to go and, and do that. Um, uh, Steve Jobs uh, said it best. I, I put a, a clip. It was uh, he and Bill Gates were on stage getting interviewed. And I put that clip in, in our pilot training graduation video. And, and he just said, like, you know, the, the gist of it was um, you have to be, you know, almost insane, insanely passionate about what you're doing, because the minute that it gets hard, you're going to quit because that's the logical thing to do. It's, you know, like, why am I suffering for this? Like, I don't want it that bad. And, um, you know, I, I would just like to make the comment that when, when you find yourself at that crossroads and, and you're getting ready to make that jump and, and start walking down the road, uh, or whatever path that you decide, you really need to ask yourself, like, is this the thing that at the first hurdle I'm going to turn around and come back here? And if the answer is no, and, and, and you remind yourself constantly, like for me, I would, I would sit and, and lay in bed and just watch all of the pilot training graduation videos from all the different classes, you know, uh, that was my, my, my reminder when the recruiter hung up on me or when, you know, the, the training flight to get my private pilot's license didn't go so well or, um, you know, when I had, uh, um, you know, issues with like the medical clinic, you know, to get in, um, or tests, you know, cause my test scores, uh, for the air force officer qualifying test were good, but they weren't competitive. 
And, um, you know, so three years of hurdles just to get in. And, uh, and, and so I would just advise anyone listening to this that, you know, it's not going to be easy. There are going to be roadblocks and, and hurdles, but, you know, if you can constantly remind yourself why you're doing it along the way, it, it really helps. And, and having that mentor there to remind you of that, like, like I, I'm with Mike, like I, I, you know, I was a history major in college. I had to work, you know, double time when it came to systems and engineering and, and electrics and, and all that stuff. But, um, when the roadblocks come, you need to just have that motivational thing that you can just always turn to, to remind you that, you know, yeah, this isn't easy, but it is going to be worth it. And, uh, and having a mentor there to remind you when, when that little voice in the back of your head saying like, you know, you're wasting your time, but the mentor is, is really important to, to say like, no, 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 like it's, it's tough right now, but you know, the sun's going to rise up tomorrow and, and you're still going to want to do this. So don't turn around today. I'm not going to lie. That was Oscar worthy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just had my goodwill hunting moment. 10 years, um, 10 years ago, I had, um, something that happened to me physically that kind of changed my outlook on the military and what I wanted to do. And when I got out of the military as well. And so in my case, I started thinking about the business community and maybe that's where I, I should focus. Cause I really enjoyed the business side of it. And I've shared this on many podcasts that I had, failures along the way and tested the waters and realized as I was transitioning or thinking about transition that I wasn't quite uh, quite as smart as I thought I was. And I was a little bit overconfident in my skill sets and capabilities. And when you were, you guys were talking about, um, you know, five, three basketball, maybe that's not the right thing, or, um, you know, trying to decide what it is that you're going to be in the future. It's also important to have a realistic timetable and think about the steps that you need to take in order to get you to where you want to go and hold yourself accountable, track everything that you do. And this kind of forces you to uh, change your behavior. We talked about finding a mentor, but also spend time each day preparing yourself by reading books, listening to podcasts like this or other podcasts. And then I think you just uh, summed this up well, John, is that success begins and ends with you. You got to realize that you are in charge of what does or doesn't happen. And I think that's where a lot of people don't want to take that accountability component. Um, instead, you know, what they want to do is look for others to give them the guidance. And in some cases, it's just finding themselves inside and realizing that they have to put that return on personal investment out there. And at the end of the day, it'll be, you know, unbelievably rewarding uh, because they'll uh, they'll be able to see the challenges that they went through and how they became successful today. And by the way, that's what adds the wisdom of mentors to be able to share with you of what you should do because they've been there, done that, and realized those failures along the way. Yeah, um, like for you know, for me personally, I, I I don't know if I would consider myself successful, but I would say that I am persistent, and and maybe that's the same thing. Um, you know, I got, uh, you know, I got no's just like everyone does. I'm sure like when guys go through, uh, you know, selection or, or, you know, army training, you know, anything in life business, it, it, you're going to hear a lot of no's. You're going to say like, well, I think about, I might do this and someone's going to say no, but you know, the only no that really matters, you know, the, the, the most detrimental no that you'll ever hear is the one that you say to yourself, you know, the one that, the, the no that, that is, is in your own head, is the only one that, that matters. Um, like we have a lot of guys that have medical issues and, and they need, um, medical waivers. 
to get in or, or you know, something. And, and I always tell them this. They're like, oh, I don't have 20-20 vision or things like that. And I always tell them the same thing, like 99 no's equal one yes. You just need to hear yes one time and, and you can keep going and move past, you know, whatever it is that you're doing and uh, or, or that's holding you up, I guess. And you can keep going on doing what you're doing. And, uh, and I think that that's a very powerful lesson to hear uh, and to experience is, you know, to be told no time and time again and one person or, or one one thing goes your way and you're like, great, fine, move on, you know, <laughs> you know, nothing nothing can stop me now and, until the next hurdle and uh, it, just don't yeah. quit. Yeah, it's taking yeah, that, it's taking that first step and then having that never quit attitude. You know, if you yeah. feel like this is something that you're passionate about and you really want to achieve, then go ahead and leap out and don't quit. Try it. Yeah, and try it first. Uh, people ask me, you know, like, oh, yeah, or I'll, I'll, I'll get messages and they'll be like, well, I want to be a pilot. And so to go back to the recruiter, I called the recruiter and, and said, hi, my name's John. It, this is the entire conversation. It, it blows me away. I said, hi, my name's John. I, I'd like to be an Air Force pilot. And he said, okay, do you have your private pilot's license? And I said, no, sir. And he goes, okay, well, call me when you do. I'm busier than that. And he hung up. <laughs> wow. That was it. That was it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to say his name, but I don't think I've ever received. I'll go ahead, a more call him out. Call him out. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever received a more motivating phone call, or had a more motivating because I called him. Uh, but um, I, I remember getting off the phone, and and I just remember going, like, "Well, who the fuck? You know, who the hell is this guy? Like, who yeah. are you to tell me no?" <laughs> and uh, I called him up four months later and said, hi, my name's John. You hung up on me last time. Don't do that again. Uh, I have my private pilot's license now. You know, now what? And, uh, <laughs> that is but, great. Um, but, but like, you know, if, if, you're, if you're just getting out of the military or you're, you're trying to go in, uh, you know, it's like, but if there's that thing that, you know, like you, DD-214, the ink is fresh, you're, you're walking out the door, you're, you know, first time waking up in civilian clothes, you know, in, in four or six years. Um, and you, you've had that thing that you're like, well, you know, maybe I want to do this or maybe I want to do that. I, I think it's really important to say like, you know, you need to go and try it first. Like if someone, when someone asked me like, well, I want to be a pilot. I, it, I said that that recruiter's question was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, and, and stance, because when I get asked, I always say the same thing, like, okay, well, do you have your private pilot's license? And if they say no, then I say like, okay, well, have you ever taken a lesson? And if the answer is no, then I go like, okay, are you really serious? Like, Mike, I, I don't know what the comparable, um, you know, uh, thing would be, but like, if someone came to you and said, like, I want to be special forces, like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm sure there's others, but you know, is it like, okay, well, have you ever been camping with a gun for seven days? Like, you know, if, <laughs> like, if the answer is no, then are, are you serious about this? Like, is this a fantasy or is this something that you're like truly passionate about? Like, especially for flying, like, okay, well, I want to be a pilot. Great. Do you get airsick? Well, if you don't know, then is that really what you want to do? Like, um, I, you know. I used to tell guys, and, and because people always want to do different things, and, and when, when people would ask me about SF or Halo or Scuba or anything, I'd always have a, a story. Imagine everything exciting and fun about what you really like to do, and then we'll make it suck. That's yeah. it. We, we, we will. <laughs> That's true. So, so military free fall is awful. I, I mean, it's you, you don't you generally don't do it during the day. Yeah, but they have these cool slick. videos out there, Mike, with the music the playing and rock and roll. The music yeah, plays the music yeah. never playing. Oh yeah. So it's always it's always blazing hot on the airplane, and and you're on oxygen. You can't see. And when they lower the ramp, 
what happens to all that condensation inside your mask? Oh, it yeah. freezes. So now you can't see. It's cold and you're sweaty <laughs> and it's it's dark outside. And and all you do is try to watch the, the altimeter right there in front of your face so you know when to pull. Um, same thing with scuba. I mean, if, you, if you're going to be a diver, everybody thinks about going to the Cayman Islands and diving a Great Wall and everything. Well, imagine it being blacker than black. Yeah, no visibility. You're underneath, you're yep. underneath a ship yep. and something bumps up against you. No, um, people people don't want to do that. <laughs> Same thing with SF. I mean, you, you know, do you really want? I mean, camping. Do you want to dig a hole big enough for two people and then stay in that hole? The only thing coming out of that hole is a scope that you're looking. You know, probably you know at something that's very very important. So there's you, one other person, uh, your weapons, your packs, a scope, uh, and a radio in, and you're going to stay there for 11, 12, 15 days. Where's the poop go? Right? Where does where does all that go? What I mean, the other guy's backpack. It, it's it's people don't think about that kind no, of thing. No, they don't. You get closer. You get closer to another human being uh, in those times than ever thought possible. But you know, if you really want to do it, you'll ignore that stuff uh, and, and get through the course. And the course is fairly easy in my mind compared to what you really do. Um, yeah. I, I I said this. I told people this a hundred times. I learned to ski. Intense Special Forces Group. I didn't ski before I, I came in the Army. I wasn't from Colorado. Uh, but I learned to ski. And, and before they taught me to ski, we had this endurance event that we had to do. And it just happened to be on skis. So because I couldn't ski, they had me put climbing skins on the bottom of my skis so that they wouldn't slide out from under me and everything. And I ended up walking. I think I think we went about 40 miles over a course of a couple of days. Uh, and the weather conditions were awful. It was hot. The snow was thick and heavy and, and wet. Uh, and they were gliding effortlessly because they changed their wax and what wax you have different wax when you're cross country skiing for different snow conditions so that it it doesn't stick. Well, I would have about eight inches of snow underneath each one of my skis that I'd have to pick up and put down. So I'm carrying you know a pack on my back, a sled behind me, and probably 25 pounds of snow on each one of my skis. And we made it 35, 40 miles over the course of a couple of days. There's two day movements and one night movement. And we're sitting around the fire after all that, and I, and I I just said, hey, had that been a selection event, an SFAS, I would have quit. There, <laughs> there's nothing. Why are we doing things this hard? We've already made it. Right. And they all laughed at me uh, because it wasn't yeah. hard for them. And and it's because my skill level wasn't up there. I needed to learn something. But there are so many things that we do. And you could probably say the same thing. You do things you know, in the Air Force uh, as a pilot that are much more difficult to get into the initial training. That's just a level license and then then the real challenge begins yeah i the the saying that we have is for every hour you fly there's a pound of paperwork oh yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you know and uh and yeah and and you know just to to kind of reiterate it's like you know if, it's like how do you know that this is what you really want to do or can do you know if you've never done it um you know and to go back to to that first lesson you know it's like don't waste yours or anyone else's time um with you know, if, if you don't know for certain, with like unquestionably, like you talk to your your buddies or your friends or, or family and say like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And if they say no and, and you start questioning it, like, yeah, you know what, shoot, is that really what I want to do? You're going to, you're not going to fail. You're just not going to finish. Um, and uh, yeah, just, you know, be, be a hundred percent like 
you know, don't wait, just don't waste your time or anyone else's. It's it's the most precious commodity on earth. There was uh, organizations a long time ago that used to do shadowing, and what they do to high school students, Mike, you might appreciate this, is that if people who wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer or a whatever, a nurse, they would allow them, uh, this is pre, you know, HIPAA concerns and all these other types of things that came about, but they would allow them to shadow these individuals for a day that allowed them to see firsthand what goes on. It was always amazing how many people walk, would walk away and go, you know, it's just not what I thought it was. It's not what I, you know, what's cracked up to be. There are uh, for people who are thinking about going to the soft community or SF and, and those types of things, there are plenty of former special forces, rangers, soft community individuals that lead courses out there. Sign up We've for had one of those things. Some of them things. on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Mike, Mike Glover's a good friend of ours at Fieldcraft Survival. And so you can go to one of those types of courses that are held out there, and you're going to find out really quickly whether or not you have the. You can cut the mustard, and if this is something you want to do, because believe it or not, as Mike just described, in many cases, it's not a one and done. You know, you'll go through the training, but then life sucks after that as well. There are a lot of things that are not pleasant every day, because that's what oh, you're God, trained yeah. to, to do is, is special operations. Or, you know, like you're mentioning, uh, John, and a, as a pilot and everything else, is that there's going to be those uncomfortable situations all the time so oh, yeah. you, you see these videos out there on instagram and facebook i see them as well i, I sometimes post them they've got the cool music in the background and it looks really awesome what they're doing whether it's flying or jumping or whatever the case but um you also need to see the other side of it and my wife of course reminds me of those moments every time i think of my army glory days and and mike yeah. yours probably does as well yeah uh yeah, my like my personal Instagram is is a highlight reel of of those moments. You yes. know, it's like the really the really good ones. And uh, but um, you know, if, if you take a, a closer look, you know, I'm I'm not posting every single day. You know, every single hour. You know, it's it's you know I'll go fly and 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 something really really exceptional will happen, and I'm fortunate to be there for it and, and get to capture it. But you know, if if you look at the dates on my posts, you know they're there's a pretty huge gap between <laughs> the know, good moments and yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but that's reality, and I think that that's where we talk about that. You know, you got first take the first step, and then of course you got to have that never quit attitude, and you have to realize that along the way, no matter what you do in life, it's going to suck. There's going to be moments where you're going to have good times, and there's going to be moments where you have bad times. And if you sit around and all you focus on is one or the other, then you're not truly living that life. I mean, if you're focusing on the negativity, then you're thinking that everything around you sucks and you're trying to blame other people when it might just be the choices that you made. Or if you think that everything is really good, then maybe you just haven't had the experience that at that time frame where you're not looking at it realistically and remembering those times where things weren't as good as you, you thought they were. And so uh, it's it's a really all of that. But I think that's too where we talked about in a, in a past podcast. Uh, find individuals around you, five individuals that can kind of be your mentors, but also individuals that will hold you accountable and people that will yeah. actually tell you the realistic situation. Hey, John, it's it's not as cracked up as you think it is. Or, hey, hey John, you're not really uh, thinking about this in the right way. Or, hey, have you thought about this? And if you, if you don't have that circle of friends around you that's holding yourself accountable or holding you accountable and also... Um, speaking openly and honest with you, then you're really doing yourself a disservice because you're going to start making probably bad decisions along the way. 
Yeah, absolutely. I when I was in college, in high school and college, I I wanted to do one thing. Like I said, my uncle flew uh, uh, HH-53s at uh, Hurlburt, and my cousin flies Blackhawks uh, down there in Florida. And I wanted I, me my personal thing. You know, like uh, at first I wanted to be Navy SEAL, Green Beret, that kind of stuff. And and then I, I I knew you know at a young age like okay, that's not really what I want to do. But but I do appreciate that community and and uh, aviation is in a, is a part of it. And aviation is part of my family. And so when I was in high school and college, I said you know I want to fly for the one sixtieth. That's I want to fly helicopters in the one sixtieth. That's what I want to do. And, uh, and I was fortunate to have my, my cousin sit down and, and my uncle. So I had an air force helicopter pilot and, and an army helicopter pilot and the army helicopter pilot did exactly what, what Mike Pritz just said. He was like, listen to me, like I sleep in a tent, you, you know, your uncle sleeps mm. in a hotel. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> I'm telling you, I'm trying to tell you something here, John, right, <laughs> like, right, right. not be an army aviation. And, um, and you know what, he's, he's had an amazing career and, and many do. And, and, and I, I wholeheartedly respect and salute everyone that, that goes down that path. Um, there was, there was a few of them that were just at Oshkosh, uh, uh two, two weeks ago that, that I got to shake hands with. And, and it was just one of those things where I was like, you know, I really admire these guys, but that wasn't for me. It, you know, it wasn't for me. And, and, um, and yeah, having that, having that moment where, uh, it's like a reality, a come to reality moment and, and that advice, um, you know, know who you are and, and know, know who, who you want to be before you go down that path are, are two very, very strong, um, support beams to, before you start walking down that road. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code MENTORSFORMIL or MENTORS4MIL at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.